0: Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. Come on, you made it to church. We're so excited that we get to do church together. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I serve as the executive pastor here. And I just want to let you know, on behalf of Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, we're so excited that you're in the house of God today. we just want to give a shout out to Westside, downtown Monterey, Mexico. We're so excited. Join me in welcoming all the locations that are with us today. Today, I have the privilege of uh, introducing our guest speaker. And, and as many of you've heard over the last several weeks at Substance, we've been committed towards church planting just around the world. Pastor Peter and I just literally flew back from Europe. We were in Germany where Pastor Peter spoke to over 1,700 pastors and leaders that are so excited about planting churches all over Europe. And I want to let you know that the church of Jesus Christ is alive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing. The church is actually on the move. And you are a part of something that is very significant in our day. And a part of that is a good friend of ours, Jason Laird, who, who serves the Association of Related Churches. He helps planting churches all around the United States. In fact, just flew in from a church planting launch out in California. And uh, guess what? Jason Laird is here. He is also going to be planting one of those churches in 2024. Can we give it up for another church plant that is going to launch this next year? We're so excited what's taking place with uh, Jason and his family, Jen, is, and his son, Nixon, is with us today. He's truly a, a, a friend and a family member of Substance Church, and we're excited because in 2024, his family has decided to plant a church in Franklin, Tennessee, and we as Substance Church are a sponsor church for him. We are behind him. We're actually going to be overseers of the church as well, and we're excited because another life-giving church will start in a city that desperately needs Jesus Christ, and And we at Substance, Pastor Jason, we're praying for you, we're believing with you, we're behind you, and we're excited that that many people have relationships and connections with people in Tennessee, and you're going to be their pastor. And we just want to celebrate all that God is doing through you, we want to sow seed into the the mission and the heart of of what you're going to do through Citizens Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And so we want to bless you with some money today as well, because that helps, right? A little bit of money will help you. And it's going to take a lot of resources, a lot of people. But we believe if we can do this right, which you will, that that, that many people are going to come into relationship with Jesus Christ because a couple said yes to the call of God upon their life. Amen? And so Jason is going to be delivering today, but today is really our, our commissioning Sunday for you as you get ready to launch this church. And so could you help me by welcoming, welcoming him, by standing to your feet and giving it up for Jason and Jen Laird? I love you, dude.
1: Give me a hug, Thank you so much. Come on now. Why don't you give Jesus your best praise? Come on, can we give Jesus our best praise? It's awesome. Well, before you, before you're seated, uh, let me just take a moment just to say how much I love this church. I, uh, I get the honor. If you're new here today, welcome. If This is your first time. You you probably never met uh, me before. Uh, but if you've been coming here for a while, if this is your church family, then you've seen my face and probably a familiar face. I feel like I'm your crazy cousin from down in, down in the Nashville area. But, um, You know, I get to travel all over America, going to great churches, beautiful churches, and everyone's unique and everyone's different. Um, But I travel as a guest and I go in as a guest speaker. And I've come here so much, I never feel like a guest. I just feel like I'm coming home. And, uh, and it's because of you, it's because of the team here, the staff here, your pastors. Uh, over the last two and a half years, probably, um, have been very significant years for our family, pivoting from one season to a new season, and God has used this house to become like a home to us in a very strategic time when God's done some really unique things in our family uh, and in our hearts. And so I just want to say this. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I'm, I honor you today. I honor your sacrifice. I honor your prayers. I honor your generosity. Your church has been such a blessing to our, to our family. And so I just want to tell you, I love you so much. You're not getting rid of me just because I'm planting a church either. I'm going to still come around here. Uh, but could we take a moment? Could we honor your pastors? Could we honor Pastor Peter and Carolyn? Yeah. And um, come on, why don't you look at the person standing next to you and tell them, say, I'm so glad you made it to church. Now, at all of our locations, look at the other person and say, go Vikings. (laughs) All right, you can be seated. I'm telling you, I am praying for a win because yesterday, both of my teams uh, both of my teams lost yesterday. The, the primary one is, is, uh, is LSU Tigers. I'm an LSU fan because I'm originally from Louisiana, and we lost last night, so I was a little bummed about that, but like one point. And then I've been, I've been into the Deion Sanders thing, just kind of watching him a little bit, uh, and well, they lost too. And so we need a win today in Jesus' name. Can somebody say okay? Um, but uh, it's so good to get to be here with you uh, today. And as I said, I'm just so grateful for your pastors. They've become dear friends of ours. And uh, it's an honor to get to serve today. Uh, you know, your, your pastors and even the message I'm going to share today is sort of an object lesson today. What we're receiving is because your pastors have been out serving faithfully, pouring out on your behalf into 1,700 pastors Uh, In Germany. Can you believe that? 1,700 pastors. Think about the exponential impact that Substance is making through 1,700 local communities of faith in Germany. I mean, Germany needs Jesus, right? And they've been pouring out and just investing. And today is really a day for Pastor Peters. It's being refreshed. and and receiving and being able to rest today so that he can jump right back into it. And so that's why I'm sharing today, serving on his behalf because he loves you and wants to make sure you get fed. But today he's receiving. And so today I'm going to actually talk a little bit bit about the rhythm of rest, the rhythm of rest. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go with me over to Luke chapter 4. I don't have any pictures of my family. You've seen them a million times, uh, but I do bring greetings on behalf of my family. Uh, Jennifer and I, we've been married now for 18 years, dating for 26 years, and uh, we have three beautiful kids. Our oldest son is 13. He's going to be 14 in, in November. Uh, and Then we have my son Nixon This right over here. He's 11 years old. He's traveling with me. Could we clap our hands for Nixon this over here? I love you, son. Proud of you. He just made the basketball team in middle school and the soccer team. And he plays travel baseball. He's a stud athlete. Yesterday, we we're walking around the Mall of America. He said, Dad, you know that I look more like you than anybody else in the family. And he said, we have so much in common. He said, we're very good looking. I was like, come on, keep, keep, stop, stop. Say it again, say more. Enough about, enough about me. What do you think about me? And he's like, he's like Dad, we're, we're very handsome. We're very intelligent. We're drippy, which for some of you older folks here, that means that we have a little swag. We dress, you know, we got a little dressing, we care about that. Uh, but he was like, daddy goes, I love being like you. And I was like, well, I love being like you. So you, you're a stud, man, I love you. Um, but then we have uh, we have a little girl, her name's Novi Sophia. Uh, she, she's four years old, she turned four in May. And uh, she's just crazy, man. She's getting crazier every single day. feels like she gets a little crazier and she'll just look at me and she's like, she calls me uh, Dottie, she says it like that. Dottie, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She's She says it every night. And I go, Oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She goes, Oh, I'm thinking what you're thinking, Dottie. You want to dance with me? (laughs) Every night, every night after dinner, we dance. We have a dance party. But that's my girl, Novi Sophia. Okay. I've been meditating on this verse. Uh, I'm not going to expound this, but I'm just going to use this as sort of a launching pad into what we're going to talk about today. But it's Luke chapter 4. It says this in verse 16. This is speaking of Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is where he grew up, his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, somebody say the Sabbath. It says on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. I just want to pause right there because in other words, what this is saying is part of Jesus's rhythm, part of his pace of life was that Though he was pulled at by many directions, many demands on him. I mean, think about the ministry opportunities. At every turn, there were crowds of people looking to pull on him and to hang on every word. People were demanding teaching. There was a the responsibility to minister to people. I mean, it was like, it was a lot of pressure on him. Might I add that he also had a full time job, he was a carpenter. He was, he was, basically he was a bivocational minister. I mean, he's a full-time carpenter. Ministry is is going wild. I mean, he's doing ministry tours everywhere. And yet, the text tells us that there was still this custom. It was, it was, it was part of his life. Like though he was busy, though there was a high demand, though he had a lot of responsibilities, and by the way, he he had he knew his time. Remember, he said, My time has not yet come. And then he was able to say, it is finished. Like he knew his timetable. He, he, he knew what was going on. He had three years and he knew this. I have three years to get a lot done. How many think that Jesus had a lot to get done in three years? So he has a lot of demand, limited time. And yet he observed the Sabbath. It was part of his rhythm to break away, to reflect, to be refreshed, to receive because he knew that you cannot give what you do not have and he he made it a priority to break away and to spend some time being refreshed. The topic is, is is the Sabbath. That's what I want to talk to you about the Sabbath, Sabbath rest and there's two questions that I get asked a lot as a pastor is like what is that? What is that all about? What is the Sabbath and does it even apply to us today? Under the new covenant Does it apply to Christians today, Sabbath rest? And so we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. Let me just throw this out there. If you're taking notes, there's two books I want to draw your attention to that I drew some of the content from this. One is called The Sabbath by Abraham Abraham Joshua Heschel. And the other one is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Two very great resources. But before I even jump into it, I just want to honor your pastors today uh, for being able to say, we're going to pour out, but we also understand that this church is not built on us. This church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. This church has never been about Peter or Carolyn. This church is all about Jesus. He is the foundation. So they can retreat and you can still receive because it's never been about them. What a beautiful church. You know what that's called? That's called a healthy church. I know some churches, man, you pull the senior pastor out. Senior pastor doesn't show up. People start calling the office, Nate. Uh, some churches on Thursday and Friday, hey, is pastor, pastor so-and-so, are they preaching Sunday? No, we got a guest preacher in town. They're like, well, I'm not coming. See, that's an unhealthy church. But a healthy church says this, this thing has never been about a pastor or a personality. It's all about Jesus. Amen? I love that. So we're going to jump into it. You know, when I first started working in ministry, serving in ministry, Um, I loved it. I I was freshly, had freshly given my life to Jesus at 18. I mean, I still smelt like the club. You know what I'm saying? Like I was fresh out the club. And I started serving. I jumped right into it. And I loved it. I loved to serve. No one paid me. I just wanted to be at the church. I just wanted to be away from all those people that were tearing me down and dragging me down. I wanted to be around some life-giving people. So I was at church on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays. Like every time the doors were open, I was at church. Matter of fact, when I was 19, there was a few times I just spent the night there. I loved it so much. I just loved it, primarily because they had some free food that that was left over from the event, so I stayed for the food. But I loved it, and then I I started working in ministry vocationally as a full time job. and And I grew up in a church that was a phenomenal church, healthy in many regards. But there was there was one aspect, and this was not necessarily the culture as much as it was the culture in me. Um, I just started just grinding, so to speak, hustling, so to speak, like just working hard. I said yes to everything. I was there on Monday at church, and you weren't even supposed to be there on Monday. That was the day off. I was there on Monday. On Monday night, I would lead a small group. Tuesday, I was, I'd work all day. I would pride myself getting to the office before anyone else. And, and now looking back, I think all those, those years that I was just hustling and grinding, I was trying to prove something. There was an interior brokenness on the inside of me. I was looking for validation. I, I was trying to win the approval and the applause of other people. And really, it was my own brokenness. But we were in a culture where we worked really hard. and I'm grateful for it because I learned how to work hard. I learned work ethic there. And then I left that, 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 that particular job and I went to another church. And this church was known for health, not for hustle. They were known for health, just the opposite. And I remember I went on staff there. They looked at me. They said, son, you were burnt out. Like you have completely, you have completely just diminished your interior life. You, 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 they said, we can look on your wife's face and see she's tired because you're so tired. And they said, they literally said this. They said, when's the last time you checked your kids into kids ministry? I was like, well, I, I'm a pastor. So pastors don't do that. I, don't, I, I mean, my wife does that. They're like, wrong. They said for the next six months, you're not gonna to come to church on the weekend as a worker. You're gonna check your kids in to kids' ministry. And you're gonna sit, you're gonna cease, you're gonna stop, and you're just gonna take notes and you're gonna receive. Man, I'm telling you what, it was like detox, Nate. I, w- I had to detox. Now, here's, let me, here's a little disclaimer here. I remember there were some people on that particular staff that took this to the extreme. If the first church took hustle to the extreme, the second church took health to the extreme. And I know that sounds weird, but what, what I mean by this, that is this, is that there were some staff members that, that totally took advantage of it, and, and they abused it, and they actually became super lazy, and what i found is is that there is so easy as humans for us to live at the extremes extreme hustle and diminish ourselves or extreme health and we become lazy and 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 not accomplish anything and i think what i've discovered and i'm still discovering is there's somewhere when we look at the life of jesus there was a healthy hustle There was something about pouring out and giving your all, pouring his entire life out into serving people for the glory of his father and for the good of humanity. But there was also this rhythm to break away and know that it's not all on me. I can rest. And I love that. There's this healthy hustle that God, I believe, calls us to as followers of Jesus. Now, how does this apply to you? Some of you are like, listen, my brother, I don't work at a church. Well, here's what I know. The cultural moment we live in is addicted to work. Busyness and output. We are out of rhythm. Think about this. On on average, we work more as Americans, we work more than any other country in the world, according to recent surveys. Listen to this Americans work an average of 137 hours more than the Japanese, an average of 260 hours more than the British, an average of 499 hours more than the French, although I'm not sure that really counts. Um, Everybody say, God bless the French. For the French
0: fries.
1: (laughs) John Mark Comer said this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry*. He said, overworking is not only socially acceptable, it's something we lionize and celebrate. Even in the moral decay of the West, few people brag about breaking the Ten Commandments, like how many lies they told that week or how many affairs they've had or how many things they've sold. And yet regularly people at 99% of churches will openly talk about how busy we are how many days we worked in a row, how long it's been since we took a vacation, how many emails are in our inbox, how early we got to the office or how late we stayed. We venerate workaholism and busyness even while we suffer under its cruel tyranny. You ask just about any Christian in America at any church today, hey, hey man, how you doing? You know what they say? I'm good, but I'm busy. I'm busy has become another way to say I'm important. Eugene Peterson once brilliantly wrote this. He said, I am busy because I am vain. I want to appear important or significant. What better way to appear important than to be busy? The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, and the heavy demands of my time are proof to myself and to all who will notice that I am important. I'm somebody. We live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and my vanity is fed. I am busy because I am lazy. I let others decide what I will do rather than resolutely deciding for myself. Isn't that powerful? C.S. Lewis once said, only lazy people work hard. See, what I found is it's actually hard work to rest. In a culture that puts so many demands on us, it is oftentimes hard work to rest. And sometimes the restlessness is not the culture around us, but it's the culture within us. It's the culture of restlessness that drives us based off of these three things. I think these are the three reasons why many people can't rest. Accumulation. That is this, we work hard to get more stuff. It's all about what we accumulate. Here's a second driver, I believe, in restlessness is accomplishment. We work hard to get validation of our significance and our contribution or approval. This is the third driver. We work hard to feel a sense of approval by others and even ourselves. I would add a fourth one in there if it's ministry, it's assignment. And we clothe this assignment in nobility and we drive ourselves saying it's God that wants me to do this. I've got to do this for God. And God's like, hey, I'm good. I can handle my business. It's funny how we live like this. And in our restless pursuit of accumulation, accomplishment, and approval, our schedules get fuller and our hearts become smaller. This is what happens. And I think the enemy knows that. I had a mentor who used to say, if the devil can't get you to sin, he'll just get you to be busy. Because a busy man and a busy woman, guess what? They cannot hear from God. When we live in the rat race and the busyness and we lose that sense of solitude and silence and peace and stillness, it becomes hard to hear the voice of God. And I believe the enemy of our soul knows that. Let me just make them busy. And to this, the invitation Jesus extends to his followers. He says, are you tired? Can I get a good amen from all the moms out there? You feel tired? My wife's like watching right now. She's like, amen. I feel tired. Get home. Watch the kids. Are you tired, Jesus says? You worn out, burnout out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You have to learn this. It doesn't come naturally. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus promises rest when we come to him. And he shows us how we do it. This is something I'm still learning, by the way. I think I'm preaching this to you because I'm really preaching it to myself. Because this last year, I have bombed at this. Confessions of a pastor. Sunday at Substance. I haven't done the best with this this year. And the Lord's like, wait, 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 You're about to plant a church? you are currently running a business and you're traveling and helping other churches. You have to get this right. The Lord's speaking this to me. I'm telling you, and some of you you need to hear it right now that this is an area where the Lord wants us to find true rest, which brings me to this word Sabbath. Sabbath occurs 111 times that word in the old Testament and 67 times in the new Testament. Sabbath is uh, derived from this Hebrew word Shabbat Shabbat. And it simply means Stop or cease. It means to stop, stop or to cease. Its root word is actually breath, and it implies stopping to catch a breath after exerting energy, to breathe in. It's interesting that in creation, God creates for six days by using his words. When you speak, you're breathing out. But on the seventh day, he rested. So on the seventh day, he breathed in, not out of weakness, but out of wonder. He stopped on the seventh day. God, the omnipotent, all-powerful God, he stopped on the seventh day and he took a breath in. He's breathing in the totality of his work saying, it is good. And he was in awe of the works that he had created. This is what we do when we stop. We're I wonder how many of us are actually doing beautiful work in the world today. Beautiful work as educators or those in business, those that are are fighting for justice cause. You're doing beautiful work, but we're so busy doing the work, we never stop to breathe in the wonder of what God is doing in and through our lives. We don't stop out of weakness. See, culture will tell you when you don't grind, you're weak. God says when you cease and you stop, you actually take a moment to receive and to take in all that I'm doing in and through you. This is a beautiful thing. It's not weakness. It's actually strength. Genesis 2 is where we see the foundations of this. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Think about this. In creation, as he creates, he creates with complementary parts. Think about this. Land and sea, night and day, sun and moon, male and female, work and rest. This is God's divine order being established in creation. And in other words, the rhythm of rest was woven into the fabric of creation. To work and not rest is to go against creation. And anytime you go against creation, you, it's like going against the grain, the rabbis would say. And when you go against the grain of God, you will get splinters. It will hurt every single time. Anytime we break that. See, in God's perfect world, he put Sabbath as a priority and he blessed it. Then he, listen to me, he gives it to his people, not as a burden, but as a blessing. Not as a law just to keep, but a gift to be received. Exodus chapter twenty, think about this. This is where God gives the blessing of the Sabbath to his people. He says in, in chapter twenty, verse eight, he says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. God created a seven day work week or seven day week, six of which He says, you can work, but one, you cease, you stop. I don't know if you ever heard this or not, but people have tried changing the seven-day work week many times. The most recent real attempt to throw out the seven-day work week was in 1929 when the USSR changed the calendar to have 72 weeks of five days each. Workers were given some days off during the year on holidays and such. The system was designed to make for a continuous work week. At any given moment, 24 hours a day, every day, 80% of the workforce was working. The system proved very frustrating. Most people did not have the same rest, uh, rest day as their spouses or friends or family, and machines broke down for the same reason that the New York subways break down often. When a system works 24 hours a day, every day, there's no real time to repair or maintain them. And In 1931, the USSR changed their schedule to a six-day week in which every six day was a rest day. This proved not much better. So in 1940, the USSR gave up and went back to a seven-day work week. Fascinating, huh? It's like God knew what he was doing. Seven days. But why was the Sabbath important to God? Because I think when we understand God's heart, then we can, we can more readily receive and embrace what he's trying to do. Here's the first thing for you. I want to give you just three quick points. The Sabbath, it was a sign. The Sabbath was a sign between God and his people. Exodus chapter 31 says this. I'm going to read you a lot of scriptures here, so just follow along on the screen. But it's very good that you have this foundational understanding. Exodus 31 says, The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign. It is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign. It's a sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day, he stopped working and it was refreshed. Notice the language, it's a covenant sign. Covenant is commitment times infinity. It's forever. He was like, this is a sign that you have have a covenant with your creator God. So it was a sign reminding them as God's people, but it was also reminding their neighbors that we belong to God. Isn't that beautiful? Sabbath is a sign that we belong to God. In Deuteronomy 5, I won't read the whole thing for you, but this is what he says there. You're to observe the Sabbath. Here's why. Because it reminds you that you were once slaves in Egypt. So it's a sign reminding you that, number one, God is your creator, but he's also your deliverer. And it's reminding you that you were once slaves, but you're not slaves anymore. I want you to think about that. The Sabbath was God blessing them with something they hadn't had for 400 years as slaves, a day off. Slaves don't get a day off. Slaves work every single day and God says, you know what I'm gonna give you as a gift? I'm gonna give you a day off. Haven't had that in a long time. You know what's, what's crazy is when we don't, this is what I thought of, here's my thought, my practical thought. When we don't take a day off, we become slaves to our work. And we communicate to everyone else that God is not our God, but that we are. And our whole universe spins and revolves around us and what we can produce rather than what he can provide. Numbers chapter 15. I won't read it due to the time, but verse 32 uh, on to verse 36, it says that, that when someone broke the Sabbath, that they were to be stoned. Not with marijuana, but with actual stones. <laughs> Somebody's like, I want to I break the Sabbath so I can get stoned. No, it's not like that, buddy. They take stones and they stone them. You, they kill them. They're, listen, this is crazy. There's only four things that warranted uh, death in the Old Testament. Murder, not keeping the Sabbath, adultery, and rebellious children. Rebellious children, Nixon, you hear that? I'm just saying that right now, just telling you. <laughs> But here's, here's practical. Obviously, we know if you break the Sabbath, God's not going to you know, get substance congregation to pick up rocks and stone them. No, it's not going to happen. But here's the practical implication. Are you killing yourself by working too much? Are we killing ourselves because we won't just rest and cease and stop? When I was on staff at the first church I worked at, I remember my doctor talking to me about three years in. And they, were, they were like, I noticed that you get sick like once a month or every six weeks, and she said, you're running yourself ragged. I really was. I was killing myself working so much, and I talk to people all the time as a pastor, and and, and they say the same thing, and not only are they killing themselves, they're killing their marriages. They're killing their relationship with their children, and listen, guilty as charged. I have fallen short in this area before, but listen, why did God why, did, why, did God, why does God say this to us? It's, again, it's not as an obligation. It's not as a law, but it's like, I want to actually help you in life. How many of you think that God like, actually wants to help us in our life? He's like, I'm going to help you with this. I'm actually going to give you a day where you can just like, reflect, be refreshed, enjoy your relationships, enjoy your spouse, enjoy your kids, enjoy playing golf. Can I a an amen from all the golfers? Okay, enjoy it. You know, I, I love it when you begin to read. About the Sabbath, God would give the Sabbath to, think about this, he gave it to humans. He also issued the Sabbath for animals. And he also gave a Sabbath every seventh year to the land that was being worked, um, that was being farmed, that was being plowed. And here's how serious God was about it. I want you to hear this. Some of you may or may not know this. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, it describes the 70 years that Israel was actually in captivity as exiles in Babylon. Um, if, you, if you look at the scriptures, it's, it's pretty fascinating. The Babylonians come into Jerusalem there and they ransack the place. Uh, they kill some, but they mainly take the best and brightest and they exile them from their hometown. And they actually bring them over to Babylon and they start serving in the courts there. And they're building their kingdom on the backs of uh, the people of Israel. And uh, <clears throat> the whole land of Israel, it's, it's basically, it's just desolate. There's nothing happening. There's nothing going on. But when you read this in 2 Chronicles 36, it's fascinating uh, because it it explains to you why God did that. God actually allowed that to happen, and it was for a purpose. Here's why. The people, in verse 20, who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Look at this, verse 21. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. Here's what I'm telling you. The command was every seventh year, give the land rest, which I have heard, I can't prove this, but I have heard that it has been proven that when you give land rest, not on the sixth year, not on the eighth year, but on the seventh year, if you don't farm that land, the eighth year will be even better. It sounds like someone created that. I don't know, just thinking. But check this out. Israel went 490 years without giving their land rest. No Sabbath. So 490 divided by seven. Can somebody tell me what that number is? It's 70. So so for 70 years, they're in exile because they did not obey God's command to give their land rest. If God cares about that for dirt, Here's my point from that, and i got to move on. Is My point is when we don't learn work-rest-rhythm, we become slaves and we are killing ourselves. Here's what I know. You will experience the Sabbath as delight or as discipline. That's a heavy statement. Not because God wants to punish you, but listen, the body keeps score. You will either willingly rest or it may eventually be forced upon you in painful ways like sickness, exhaustion, heart attack, disease, and the like. This doesn't sound like the most encouraging message I know, but it gets better. Somebody say, it gets better. Here's my second proposition. The Sabbath, it was not just a sign. It was actually a shadow. What does that mean? That sounds different. Colossians chapter 2 says, so don't let anyone condemn you condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or sabbaths don't let anyone condemn you for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and christ himself is that reality see the sabbath actually points us to jesus the true and greater Sabbath, the true and greater rest. A lot of times the reason we are restless is because there is something in us that is off, that is trying to prove or trying to earn. And in Christ Jesus, he, he fully does the work on the cross. And now as we put our faith and trust in him, we can rest because our identity is not in our work. It's not in our performance. It's not in our production. It's not in our accumulation. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. And we can rest in that. Listen, I don't want you to feel condemned, as the text says. If you haven't been taking a Sabbath, I'm not trying to beat you up. The Sabbath was a sign, but it was more than a sign. It was a shadow of this greater rest that would one day come. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. Augustine said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Here's what I've discovered. Restless souls produce restless bodies. When our soul is not at rest, we're not our best. Our bodies can rest when we find rest for our souls in Jesus. Let me move to the next point, but let me tell you this one thing that's so great. In the Old Testament, there was something called the temple. The temple was an earthly picture of the heavenly temple. And in the earthly temple in the Old Testament, the high priest that worked in the temple, they work nonstop. And therefore, one of the rules was there, there was to be no chairs in the temple for the high priest to sit down and stop and cease and take a break. And in the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus is our true and greater high priest. who he, does, he fulfills all of the sacrificial law. He fulfills all of those things, everything. And the Bible says after the cross, after he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. You know what it says in the heavenly temple? It says that he is seated at the right hand of the father. You know what that tells me? It is finished. The work is done. Even that is a picture that there's no work for you to be done when it comes to your salvation because Jesus has already finished it. See, the Sabbath points us to a true and greater rest that is found in Jesus Christ. And here's the last one for you. This is where it gets practical. The Sabbath is, and it was, and it is a system. It's just a system. It's a system In other words, the Sabbath was God's delivery system to help his creation find rest, refreshment, replenishment, and recreation. Recreation is recreation, being recreated. It was his system woven into the fabric of creation, and it applied to humans and to animals and to even land. It was his system to deliver delight to his people. It was never meant to be a burden. It was meant to to open up opportunity, to posture us towards him, to receive his blessing. Isaiah 58 says it like this in verse 13. If you watch your step on the Sabbath, that means pay attention to the Sabbath. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage. In other words, using your day to get ahead and work. To use your Sabbath to just, I got to get ahead before I go to work on Monday. He says, don't don't do that. If you treat the Sabbath as, as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money running here and running there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. In other words, the Lord is saying, I've given you this day for you to enjoy so that I can pour my blessings upon you. In creation, six days, God created. And every time, what did he say after he created something? It is good. It's good. It's good. There were three things that he created that he not only said it was good, but he, but he did something in addition to that. In Genesis one twenty one, he creates man and woman and he says, be fruitful and multiply. Or excuse me, it's, it's uh, about the animals. The living creature says, be, be f- fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on earth. But if you back up to the beginning of that, it says, after he saw that it was good, he blessed them. He blessed the living creatures. He Didn't do that to the other stuff. And then humans, Genesis 127. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And then look at this. And then Genesis 2. It says on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day. He blessed the living creatures. He blessed humans and he blessed the day. You know why? Here's why. These three have the ability to reproduce life. These three have the ability to bring bring forth life. And God says, and because of that, I command a blessing on them. See, could it be that when we miss out on Sabbath and on rest and on finding that rhythm that we are simply robbing ourselves of the blessings that God wants to pour out on our lives. I've heard somebody say uh, that Chick-fil-A, how many of you love Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Have you ever driven up to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? You're so excited, waffle fries. You drive up, you're like, oh, there's no line. And you get in line, and you're like, duh! This is Sunday. You feel cursed immediately. <laughs> Somebody told me once that Chick-fil-A grosses, uh, I think, five times more than, than other people in their industry, in fast food industry like that. And they have one less work day. Isn't that fascinating? One, it's, it's like the tithe. Like you can, do, you can do more with 90% when God has 10% than you can do with 100%. You can do more with six days when you give God one than you can do with seven days. And he pours his blessings out on that. You know why? Because this is the the declaration that we're making. God, you are my provision. You are my source. I delight in you. You are everything. And God says, man, I can bless them. I can bless her. So does the Sabbath still apply to us today? Here's, Here's my answer, yes and no. The Sabbath is an invitation, not an imposition. It's an invitation to come to me, Jesus says. It's not an imposition. You don't have to. It's not an obligation. You don't have to. But I invite you to come into a space where you can be refreshed, where you can enjoy your marriage better than you ever have before where you can enjoy your family and your friends better than you ever have before. I invite you to come and just to be with me and to receive, turn off the phone, turn off the iPad, stop with the inbox. It'll be there on Monday. Just come and receive. It's an invitation. It's not an imposition. And that's why Jesus, even he practiced this rhythm of rest. As we read in Luke 4, it was his custom. You can find 30 to 40 verses that show that the early church, they actually practiced the Sabbath. Sabbath. You can read it with the Desert Fathers in the early church. I'm telling you, this has been a part of the rhythm of Christianity and the rhythm of followers of Jesus. Why? Not as an obligation, not as an imposition, but as an invitation to practice the way of Jesus. You know what's interesting? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Christians want the life of Jesus, and we live in a culture that doesn't want to embrace the truth of Jesus, and nobody really wants to practice the ways of Jesus. How will we ever experience the life of Jesus without embracing the truth of Jesus and practicing the ways of Jesus? There's something to that. This is not to be legalistic or some rule, which is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. Whereas the Jewish writers would say, and many Jewish people would say, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, the Shabbat has kept Israel. Another way to say it is this, is more than I have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept me. So practically, here's these questions that people ask me. When should you have your Sabbath? Listen, any day. I take mine typically on Fridays, sundown to Saturday sundown. I try to observe that. There's sometimes whenever I have to work on Fridays because I'm traveling, so then I just change it to a different day within that seven days. It doesn't have to be legalistic. It's a principle. It's a system. You don't have to be legalistic. You don't have to tell somebody, I don't do that. This is my Sabbath. It's a holy day today, consecrated unto the Lord. They may slap you if you do that. Don't do that. It shouldn't be legalistic, but it's a 24-hour period where you cease. You stop. Sabbath is cease. Stop. Just stop. You guys remember that Saturday night live Thing in the counseling session where that that person's like, Stop it! Stop it! (laughs) YouTube it when you get a chance. So funny. It's just, I feel like God's like, Hey, just stop, cease. It's gonna be all right 24 hours. What should you do on your Sabbath? Nothing work related. What a novel idea. Nothing work related. Sabbath is resting from output for income. It's resting, it's ceasing, it's stopping output for income. Rest by stopping output. For income. So what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And Inge- just enjoy rest from your work. Enjoy church. Enjoy serving. Enjoy ministry. Enjoy worship. Sleep in. Take a nap. Take two naps. Play golf. Play top golf. Make love. Eat good food. It's my, some of the husbands said amen when I said, make love. <laughs> some of the wife's like, but I need a Sabbath. <laughs> Wasn't in my notes. I promise. Thank you, the Holy Spirit. You can roll over to your wife. She's going to go, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> i got to hurry. Let me finish with this. Okay. My mentor, one of my mentors, uh, one of my mentors, gosh, that is so crazy. One of my mentors had a, a, was five years into his church plant. He was in his closet. Uh, his fifth year, he worked 52 weeks straight with no Sabbath. Preached like every Sunday. And he was, he was burnt out. And he went to his closet to get, he was getting dressed for work and he opened his drawer and uh, he had, uh, I think he said he had one sock and no underwear, no clean underwear. And he just looked at it and he just collapsed on his, on his, in his closet and started crying. It was like that one thing triggered, like, oh, and he just started crying. And he realized, I'm having a, I'm having a meltdown. He told the elders of the church and they said, you need to rest. And so they, they installed a every five to seven years, they give a sabbatical to their pastors, a three-month three sabbatical. And uh, so he's on his sabbatical, and he said that on day 53, this is crazy, on day 53, Pastor Robert said he felt normal again. He just felt normal. Like, I, I, I can think clearly again. I feel energized. I want to go fishing. I'm, I, he felt normal again. And he said, so he journaled, and he said, Lord, he goes, I feel normal again today. And the Lord said, what day is it? He said, 53. And he said, how many Sabbaths did you miss this year? And he said, 52. And he said, you owed 52 Sabbaths. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, you mean I owed you 52 Sabbaths? He said, oh, no, son. You owed you 52 Sabbaths. See, listen to me. Church, you're the best when you're at rest. Amen? Come on, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you so much and we just thank you for the gift of rest. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we we hustle. Yes, God, we want to work as worship and the the occupations and the vocations you've given us. We want to work as unto the Lord with all of our hearts. But we also want to be able to rest, be able to receive. Be able to be present with our relationships, present with our family, present with our spouse. So, God, will you just grace us for that? I pray that you would just awaken a desire for some people that, there's some people that needed to hear that today. There's some business folks that needed to hear that today. Some teachers that needed to hear that today. But, God, there's, there's also some people probably in here at one of our locations that maybe they're like, Hey, you know, here's the work that I need. I need the work that Jesus has done on the cross for me because... I'm far from God. I'm not at rest. There's a turmoil in my soul. And that's because you're not at peace with God. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ, He laid down his life on the cross. He rose again so you could have a fresh start and a new beginning. And so that you would not have a restlessness in your soul anymore. You could have a fresh start with God. If that's you today and you say, Jason, I need to make peace with Jesus. I need to I need to become a follower of Jesus. We just pray this simple prayer at all of our locations. Say, Jesus. Today, I give you my life. I choose to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start and a new beginning. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for every person that prayed that simple prayer. God, I think it's no prayer that saves us, but it's a genuine heart towards you. Your word says when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And so today we thank you for that at all of our campuses. And God, we pray even right now for our pastors. We pray for Pastor Peter and Carolyn. Refresh them even today as they've been pouring out this week to 1,700 pastors. Women's Conference, God, they've been just investing and pouring out, building your kingdom. And God, your word says that those that refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. So refresh them today restore them, refill them today, fill them with fresh vision, God, fill them with fresh passion, God, and may they come back, God, serving, pouring out even in, in, in an even greater way, God. We thank you for that. We pray your blessings over them and over this church right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I love you, church. God bless you.